Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. Amen. I want to share a message with you all called Keeping Up with the Joneses. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Keeping Up with the Joneses is an idiom that we use and we refer that we're trying to compare ourselves to our neighbor. Our neighbor gets a new car, and we feel like, well, we can't let them be one up on us. We got to keep up with the Joneses. We need to go out and get us a new car. And it really relates to material competition. Uh, but I want to share this with you all, uh, that as we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, we really are playing a dangerous game. This message literally relates to our series on the art of neighboring, um, but I think it relates to us even more so to the people who sit right around you, the people that you work with, certainly those that are in the community. We live in a culture of comparison. One of the reasons that uh, I really am spending less and less time on social media is because social media feeds this, this culture of comparison. Um, I don't know about you, and most of you all probably wouldn't be real, but it, it's, it's, it's a temptation when you go on social media and you see how somebody else, they might have a glamour shot as their profile picture. And it might make you feel a little bit bad, right? Feel like you need to go and get you a glamour shot. It feeds into this culture of comparison. Um, one of the reasons that some people don't go to the gym is because when you're in the gym, that's an, added, that's an atmosphere that sometimes can breed comparison. You know, everybody don't want to, you know, can't look like me, but, you know, just do you, all right? Just do the best that you can. There was an old man who wanted to oppress a beautiful young woman at the gym, and uh, so the old man went to one of the young physical trainers, fitness trainers, and said, hey, sir, what... What machine can I use to impress that young girl over there? And the trainer said, you know, there's an ATM outside. Why don't, you, why don't you try that? That would impress her. And I've been pastoring long enough to know that uh, there's a culture of comparison even when it comes to pastors and it comes to churches. Uh, some of you might even be tempted, and one of the reasons why this message is important for us to embrace in this season of succession, some of you might even be tempted to compare uh, D.A. to myself, to B.H. You know, who's better, B.H. or D.A.? Who you like better? Um, it's a dangerous game. 
there, there is a poison that comes with comparison. It can kill you. It's a destructive game. We need to be careful not to play that game. And one of the most dangerous aspects of, on display of this game is when parents pit their children towards against each other. Instead of encouraging them to uh, complete one another, they encourage them to compete against one another. Saying things like, you know, you'll never be as good as your brother was. Or your sister is doing such and such and such. What are you doing? In the Bible, we see several tragic stories and outcomes of families who played this comparison game. There's a story of Esau and Jacob. The Bible says that uh, Rebekah loved her son Jacob, but Isaac loved Esau. They pitted them against one another. They developed a sibling rivalry and instead of becoming allies and becoming friends and giving honor to one another, they became enemies and they became foes. They became rivals. This is a story of two sisters, Rachel and Leah, who competed against each other for the love of one man named Jacob. Jacob must have been a bad brother, man. But you know, there's a lot of that going on right now. A lot of the beefs and violence that we see uh, happening in the community is sometimes it's, it's bred on social media. Sometimes there's one man that's got two women pregnant at the same time. And maybe that's how Rachel and Leah felt, and they competed against one another. And they could not speak kindly to each other as a result of it. And because they couldn't speak favorably and give honor and encouragement to each other, neither could their children do that particularly when Rachel gave birth to Jake to uh, Joseph and Joseph became this dreamer and and the children of Leah began to persecute and hate Joseph but there is a, a story in the Bible of two women Mary and Elizabeth they were cousins and they refused to play that comparison game they spoke well of each other they encouraged each other they built one another up that's what I love about the sisterhood. Women, you all have an opportunity to really shine God's light, life, and love in this church and in this community through the sisterhood by building one another up, supporting that ministry. I hope you don't wait till tomorrow to try to get a ticket. Today is the last day. But Mary and Elizabeth, because they spoke well of each other, their children, which were John the Baptist and Jesus, also spoke well of each other. So I'm going to take you all to a scripture in the, the third chapter of the Gospel of John. I'm going to read a, a good portion of this. I'm reading from the message translation or the message interpretation of the Bible, beginning at verse 22. After this conversation, Jesus went on with his disciples into the Judean countryside and relaxed with them there. He was also baptizing at the same time John was baptizing over at Anon near Salam, where water was abundant. This was before John was thrown into jail. John's disciples got into an argument with the establishment Jews over the nature of baptism. They came to John and said, Rabbi, 
You know the one who was with you on the other side of Jordan, the one you authorized with your witness? Well, he's now competing with us. He's baptizing too. And everyone's going to him instead of us. John answered, it's not possible for a person to succeed. I'm talking about eternal success without heaven's help. You yourselves were there when I made it public that I was not the Messiah, but simply the one sent ahead of him to get things ready. The one who gets the bride is by definition the bridegroom. And the bridegroom's friend, his best man, that's me. In place at his side where he can hear every word is genuinely happy. How could he be jealous when he knows that the wedding is finished and the marriage is off to a good start? That's why my cup is running over. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. The one who comes from above is head and shoulders over other messengers for God. The earthborn is earthbound and speaks earth language. The heavenborn is in a league of his own. He sets out the evidence of what he saw and heard in heaven. No one wants to deal with these facts, but anyone who examines this evidence will come to stake his life on this, that God himself is the truth. The one that God sent speaks God's word, and don't think he rations out the spirit in bits and pieces. The father loves the son extravagantly. He turned everything over to him so he could give it away a lavish distribution of gifts. That is why whoever accepts and trusts the Son gets in on everything, life complete and forever. And that is also why the person who avoids and distrusts the Son is in the dark and doesn't see life. All he experiences of God is darkness and an angry darkness at that. Chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. Have you all parents ever saw the, the logo on certain music saying parental warning, explicit lyrics. I want to give you all a parental warning right now that creating sibling rivalry destroys the potential inside of your children. It gives them the feeling that they have fallen short of your hopes and dreams and they may never recover from that. But God knows what he's doing. He doesn't give every one of us the same gifts. He doesn't have the same expectation for all of us. That's why in the scripture, when Jesus told a parable that the landowner gave a certain man five talents, another one he gave two, and another one he gave one, but he gave it according to their ability. I encourage you all to do the same. All our children have different abilities. Pastors have different abilities. I refuse to play the comparison game. I'm comfortable in the skin that I'm in. I really am. I am who I am. I'm almost 60 years old. I am balding, 
Come on, don't shout me down. You, 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 know, you know you ain't got as much hair as you used to have either. I'm talking to the women and the men. Amen. I got 25 extra pounds that I wish I didn't have. I like sweets, so they're going to be hard to get rid of. I still got some suits in my closet that I'm believing by faith that I'm going to get back into. I'm holding out hope. Amen. I can wear the jackets, but the pants, you know, they, that's, it's the pants, man. It's the pants. I got the jackets down. It's just the pants. Y'all act like I'm the only one. But there's a power in owning your purpose and owning who you are. And that's what I love about John the Baptist and about Jesus. They refused to play that comparison game. The, the Pharisees came to John and said, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Jesus, and John says, no, I'm not him, but I tell you who I am. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. My job is to make straight the paths for him. My job is to decrease so that he can increase. It's his time. It's his season. So John and Jesus really walked in a spirit of meekness and humility. Humility is being who you are. It's thinking rightly about yourself. Pride is thinking more highly of yourself. And false humility is thinking lower of yourself. And it's humility, the Bible says, that attracts the power and the grace of God. He gives his grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Jason Upton, who was a Wisconsin contemporary Christian artist and songwriter, he wrote a song and the lyrics say, there's a power in poverty that breaks principalities and brings the authorities down to their knees. There's a growing frustration in this revelation as men of the world fight for power by forms of manipulation. But God sends this revelation to the broken and the penniless. Jesus sends the grace of the Holy Spirit to those who embrace who they are. That's what the, the Beatitudes are all about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you realize that I don't have everything and I'm dependent upon his grace, God gives you an inheritance of heaven. Amen. We can give him some praise. Somebody's starting to get this revelation. There are dangers in comparison. It, it destroys your joy. It robs you of just being the best you that you can. So I want, to, I want to expose some of these dangers and let you know that, that reality number one is that we can never measure up to other people. You cannot measure up to every person around you. Because when you are comparing your inside to their outside, you're comparing how you feel with how they appear to look. And the way that they appear to look is not really who they are. And I guarantee they don't always look like that. So don't compare how you feel with what you see. Because it ain't always going to be like that. Other people's reality is not our reality. It's just not. It's, your reality is your own. And if you really knew what their reality was, you probably wouldn't be jealous of them. You probably wouldn't want it. There's always going to be somebody that has more than what you have. And there's always going to be people that have less than what you have. So embrace your reality. 
I think it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, Dr. Arrington, you, you, uh, when we introduced you and interviewed you before the message, you, you talked about growing up and how you used to um, measure your height on the, on the door frame. And some of you probably have done that in the past as well, right? You, you take a, a pencil and you put a little mark at the top of your head and you come back three months later and you do it again and see how much you've grown. You're seeing how far you, how you measure, where you stack up. Well, there's a danger in doing that with other people. The danger in doing that is that you can begin to boast in what you have accomplished compared to somebody else. You begin to compare not only how tall you are, but how good of a parent you are compared to somebody else. How big your home is, where your home is located as to pair, compared to somebody else. How, how many zeros are in your salary? Your physical features. Your singleness, your marriedness, comparing yourself to your coworkers. You want to see how do I stand next to you? Am I taller than you? Am I better than you? That's a dangerous trap because it leads to inferiority. Here's another danger. It destroys your peace and your contentment. The Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. But if you pay, play this comparison game, it robs you of your peace. It robs you of your contentment. You need to just be content with how God has blessed you. Hallelujah. I often say this, I say you might as well be yourself because everybody else has been taken. Just do you. Just be you. Be comfortable with who you are and you will guard your peace. Here's another danger, it cheapens appreciation. We have been called to live with an attitude of gratitude, but if you're playing the comparison game, you, you are robbed of your appreciation. You're robbed of your thankfulness for what God has done in your lives. You're so busy looking at what he's doing in other people's lives that you don't have a, an ability to look at what he's done in your life and lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus, that you have done this. Thank you, Jesus, that you protected me from that. It cheapens appreciation. And here's another one. Finally, playing that comparison game is dangerous because it feeds jealousy. It feeds that green-eyed monster of envy. First Corinthians chapter 12 reminds us that we have different roles in the kingdom, every one of us. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 14, I'm reading the New Living Translation. It says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that not make it any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye cannot, can never say to the hand, I don't need you. Wow, that's a revelation right there. 
The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most important. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that every that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you a part of it. So the only way to break free, the scripture is reminding us to break free from the comparison trap is that you have to embrace who you are. Instead of trying to be somebody else, embrace who you are. Amen. So how do we do that? First, you just got to trust that God made you the way he wanted you. I am who I am. I am who I am. Balding, 200 and some pounds, I am who I am. I can work on some of that. I saw somebody who said, listen, losing weight is a matter of diet. Fitness is a matter of being in the gym. So I can change some of that, but I am who I am. I just have to embrace that. I got to trust that God made me, and he said it's very good. And then each of us can embrace this by discovering your own unique shape, S-H-A-P-E. Every one of us has a unique shape. The, the S stands for spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4 identify gifts and offices in the body of Christ. Every one of us have, if you're saved, you have at least one spiritual gift. That gift has been given for you to you to glorify God, but also to help and to encourage and to strengthen other members that are in the body of Christ. So you have a responsibility to embrace your shape, your spiritual gift. The H is heart or your passion, your heart. God gave every one of us different passions, different different uh, heartbeats. There are things that make you angry, things that you are concerned about, things that make you cry, things that make you laugh. Those are the things that reveal where your heart is. If you're watching the news and, and, and a certain story just makes you cry or makes you angry or gets your attention, that's a revelation of where your heart and your passion is. God gave that to you. He wired you to be an answer to somebody else's problem. Not to be the problem, but to be the answer. And your heart reveals that. The A stands for ability. Everybody has different abilities. Some of us are born seven feet tall for a reason. You might want to play basketball or volleyball. And if God gives you the ability, that's even better. The P stands for personality. There are all types of personalities, introvert, extrovert, you can do the DISC profile to identify what your personality is. Listen, don't try to change your personality. That's who you are. And the E stands for experience. Your experiences are never wasted. God is able to redeem even the ugly experiences for his glory. 
He's, he's able to take those tests and give you a testimony. So embrace your shape. I want you all to just uh, practice this right now because we are in this, this art of neighboring and we're, we're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. We're not competing with the Smiths, the Browns, the, the Halls, the Harrises, or anybody else. So I want you all to practice this. I want you to find somebody right near you, next to you, and I want you to say this to them. Say, you are unique. Did they, did they look like they meant it? Or did they struggle? Okay. Okay. Give them another chance. Say it again. You are unique. You have special abilities. You have God's gifting. You are a unique expression of the voice and style of God. I need you. I got to lean on you. I've got to learn from you. In order for me to live, you have to live. Therefore, I refuse to resent you. I encourage you to be the best you that you can be. I celebrate you. I encourage you. I will not compete with you, but I will complete you. I give them a handshake or a high five and seal that covenant in the name of Jesus. That's how you do not keep up with the Joneses. You encourage the Jones. You build the Jones up. Amen. Hallelujah. Some of y'all need to go home and just tell your neighbor, you know, I'm sorry. I've been trying to keep up with you. Your grass looked greener than mine. And so I just went out and I got all side on my grass. Peter and John were two of the most prominent disciples on Jesus' ministry team. Each of them had a unique shape. They had unique gifts. They had unique passions. They had unique experiences. The Bible reveals to us that the Apostle John lived a long life. He was the only disciple that was not martyred. John wrote the Gospel of John that we read from today. He read John 1, wrote John 1, John 2, John 3, and received the Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Peter, however led the church through some difficult years. He was the first leader in the church that led through persecution. Unlike John, Peter was crucified upside down. Peter wrote two letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And if you remember Peter's life, Peter denied Jesus while John followed him even into the high priest courtyard. I want to pick that story up in John chapter 8 to just kind of show how these two disciples differ from one another. In John chapter 18 and verse 12, the Roman soldiers under their commander joined by the Jewish police seized Jesus and tied him up. They took him first to Annas, father-in-law of Caiaphas, 
Caiaphas was the chief priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it was to their advantage that one man die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Let me just put a period there for a moment or comment there because I'll come back. That other disciple is John describing himself. Throughout the book of John, he doesn't always name himself, but he calls himself another disciple or he says the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he's the author of this book. That other disciple was known to the chief priest. So he went in with Jesus to the chief's, chief priest's courtyard. Peter had to stay outside. Then the other disciple went out, spoke to the doorkeeper, and got Peter in. Most of us would have been content. I'm in here. You got to stay out there. I got perks. But no, he went and got Peter and brought him in. The young woman who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, aren't you one of this man's disciples? He said, no, I'm not. The servants and the police had made a fire because of the cold and were huddled there warming themselves and Peter stood with them trying to get warm. Can you see how both of these lives, these men of God were influencers but they led at different levels but they were both needed in the kingdom of God. Later on after the denial of Peter, uh, uh, he denied Jesus three times. In John chapter 1 Jesus came and he restored Peter three times. Y'all remember that story? I'm going to pick that up in John chapter 21. In verse 17, I'll just go to the third time. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And so he answered and said, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'm telling you the truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wish. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hand while someone else dresses you and takes you where you do not want to go. He said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would, would glorify God. Then he commanded him, follow me. Turning his head, Peter noticed the disciple Jesus loved following right behind him. This is John describing himself again. Peter turned his head and noticed the other disciple following right behind. When Peter noticed him, he asked Jesus, said, Master, what's going to happen to him? Jesus said, if I want him to live until I come again, what's that to you? You follow me. That is how the rumor got out among the brethren that this disciple wouldn't die. But that's not what Jesus said. He simply said, if I want him to live until I come again, what's that to you? Let me just uh, bring this message to a close by just telling you three things that we all have to do to defeat the spirit of comparison. Number one, and Jesus told us this in John 7, 21, verse 17. He said, you just got to love me. You just got to love me. It's real simple. Just love me. Secondly, he said, feed my sheep. That's mean that we all have to stay on task, stay on purpose, stay within your shape. That's your sweet spot. That's how God has wired you. Feed my sheep. And thirdly, he told Peter, just follow me. Now, there's going to be the temptation to look around and look back and notice other people and how God's glorifying and blessing them. And it's their season. And it's, and, and it's going to be a temptation to say, well, Lord, what about him? What you going to do with them? 
Why, why are you not giving me what you gave them? <laughs> and Jesus is just going to turn to you and say, what's that got to do with you? What's that got to do with you? Say that with me. What's that got to do with you? That needs to be something that we say to one another. Because Jesus quickly rebuked Peter and said, that has nothing to do with you. You just follow me. During this season of succession, we need to remind some folks of that. What's that got to do with you? You continue to love him. You continue to feed his sheep. You continue to follow him. You stay on mission. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Stop turning around noticing what he's doing with other people. <laughs> if we don't, it's danger of bleeding out. What do I mean by bleeding out? I'm close with this story. One of the ugliest creatures on the face of the earth is the Komodo dragon. It looks kind of like an alligator, but, all, but it's like a snake. It's got a long tongue that comes out. Now, the Komodo dragon has powerful jaws, and when, it, when it, it's a predator. So when it bites its victim, it holds its victim in its mouth, and the victim cannot escape because the jaws are so powerful. And while he's holding its victim in his mouth, it's releasing a venom from his fangs into the victim. And just holding the, holding the animal there. It's trying to get away, but it can't. Because the Komodo's dragon secret is that I got to get this venom, this poison inside of my prey. And when the poison gets into the prey's bloodstream, it prevents the blood from naturally clotting. Y'all know what blood clot. Clotting is, is something that God put within our body to help us to live and thrive and survive. If your blood didn't clot, you would just bleed out. That's how scabs are formed. The blood is clotting. It, it's forming a natural healing mechanism so you can continue to live. And so the Komodo dragon holds his prey until it bleeds out. <laughs> It has no ability to heal itself. Before you know it, it has no energy, no strength, because all its blood has gone out. Now it's dinner time. Whenever you and I see that sin of comparison in yourself or in somebody else, if it's in you, you need to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I need to stop this, I'm bleeding out. If, if I don't stop this right now, my, my healthy cells will not operate. I'm going to become infectious, not only to myself, but to other folks. And if you see it in somebody else, tell them, say, hey, hey dude, you bleeding out, man. You need to stop that. <laughs> you need to fall back in love with Jesus. You need to get back on track and feed his sheep. You need to, you need to get in position and follow him. What has that got to do with you? Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. 
I hope to meet you soon.